This is the Mindful Musical Life Podcast. I'm Kevin Miske. Before we jump into this week's interview, I wanted to share a bit of exciting news. I have developed a four-week introduction to mindfulness for musicians. Through four 30-minute private meetings with me and structured private practice on your own, you will gain an understanding of the main elements of mindfulness, learn some mindfulness practices, and develop exercises to incorporate mindfulness into your music making. If you are interested in a free 30-minute consultation to discuss this course and see if it's right for you, please reach out to me via Instagram at mindfulmusicallife or via email at mindfulmusicallife at gmail.com. My guest this week is Emily Rodriguez Quiros. Emily is a tenured professor of violin at the National University of San Agustin in Arequipa, Peru, where she teaches undergraduate and graduate violin students. Also, Emily is a certified instructor in mindfulness-based wellness and pedagogy and incorporates many mindfulness techniques into her violin studio teaching. She has participated in several international music festivals in Puerto Rico, United States, and Europe, and has played with different symphony orchestras and chamber music in the Caribbean, United States, South America, and all over Europe. Moved by the talent of the children and young musicians of Peru, she created the Verarte International Music Festival in 2015 with the intention of offering students the best quality lessons and musical exchanges with internationally recognized teachers. In our conversation, Emily discusses how she merges mindfulness with her violin pedagogy, the common areas of hesitancy she sees in students when first learning mindfulness skills, and how mindfulness has really helped her as an educator and performer at the highest levels. Emily has a beautiful philosophy regarding music education, and her insights into how to incorporate mindfulness elements into teaching are not to be missed. I hope you enjoy this wonderful conversation with Emily Rodriguez Quiros. Hello, Emily. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk to you about what you've got going on with mindfulness down in Peru. Um, Would you start just a little bit to share what you do and where you teach? And we can talk about how you incorporate mindfulness into your studio of violin teaching. Sure. Hi, Kevin. It's I'm so excited to see you and to know how things are doing for you. I'm very excited about your new podcast. I wish you the very best. Thank you very much for inviting me to be My here pleasure. today. <laughs> so um, basically what we do is that um, in my studio, the ways I incorporate mindfulness, it's being a little, a little bit difficult just because um, many people are reluctant to it and they don't know what's about, what's mindfulness, what is not mindfulness. So they don't know what expectation to have. And what we do or what I tend to do with my studio students is that um, I incorporate mindfulness practice to their practice time with the violin. What we do in the studio class is that I ask them to think about something that they want to perfect in music, that they want to do it well. So basically, let's say it's a fingering that they are having some issues. So I will ask them to think about one note. And basically, they will have to release or relax or think about that note throughout the entire piece. So that way, I have them thinking about only one issue. And it's basically fragmentation in music. They do small sections or or they do small sections mm-hmm. and um, they practice over and over again, thinking about that one note that they really need or want to fix. 
That's so great. I, I love that idea. I've never thought of that before, but it's so interesting. So for example, you might say that, you know, if, if there's a specific note that's challenging for them, maybe like a specific shift or octave that's challenging, right? So then that's the one pitch that they focus on throughout the whole section or the whole movement, right? Exactly. Um, or it could be also to rem remind them that they need to fix the, bo the bowing or that they need to mm. fix um, the intonation. It's just that I have then have like that one note that they can go back over and over again and remind themselves what the goal of studying that one passage is. Oh, that's great. So very, very simple, very detailed um, goal and instruction to then to use the note as kind of a reminder to go back to that goal, that musical goal. Yeah. And it helps them with so many other things. It doesn't even have to do, like, as, as I told you, it might not be that that one note is wrong, but it just helps them to remind what the goal of the of practicing that passage is. And that also helps a lot with memory, um, with also phrasing. It could help them because we pick one thing at a time, basically what Galamian said, right? That you need to use fragmentation. And based on that, you start building everything up and you focus on one thing and then once that thing is fixed you can go to the other thing and they start building their passage in a very strong manner yeah that's great so what what kind of inspired you to try this technique what were you seeing in your students that you felt like this would be a good way to help them um that's kind of a hard question, just because I'm <laughs> trying to get back to what what made me do this. But I guess it was during my master's um, in the States. Um, we were discussing a lot Galamian's book. So I was fixed into many, many of the things that he said or that someone else wrote for him, right? And I was surprised that it was so detailed. And hmm. I never saw it that way, or maybe I didn't have the maturity to see it that way up until I started working with my students and see that things didn't work the same for everyone. So you had to make, like I would teach them how to do it, but every student will do it extremely different. And I'm surprised that many people would say that, oh, well, but that, that is not creative. And I'm like, that it's very creative because they actually get to explore what they need to get whenever they practice. So I will say it maybe goes back to my uh, master's degree, but maybe also the lacks I had as a student that I didn't have until I was faced with all of this information and maybe even as a professor, because I think that you learn much more from, from them than what they learn from you. Oh yeah, so important. Always, always the case where you learn so much about how your students learn can influence you know, how you present to the next student or even how you yourself work on music. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful cycle that, um, that's wonderful. So then um, you talked a little bit about reluctance when you're when it comes to just 
you know, straight up mindfulness practices, you know, in suggesting students do mindful breath awareness or body scan or things like that. So after they've used these kinds of approaches with the music specifically, you know, incorporating this focus technique using a single note or other examples um, into their practice routines, do you find them becoming a little bit more, you know, interested or accepting of, of the possibility of mindfulness techniques? I think so, yeah. But they they are maybe they don't know um, much about mindfulness, so they will think about it. But seeing that not many people, or not that they know of practices, they will be like, "Oh, I don't need to waste my time in this," right? But um, one thing I find very interesting with mindfulness is that it's quite common for human life. And we don't, we lose this when we are growing up and we don't know how important it is to reflect on our life. But there are many places that you need to do that. As for example, I profess a faith and it is a very devoted faith and we do mindfulness all the time. It is not mindfulness that the word we use for it, it is meditation. But again, it is meditation. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's very interesting. And what I try to tell my students is that I am giving you tools from mindfulness, but you can just use it thinking about mindfulness or not, because it depends on what you feel is right for you. And I think that's very important. And maybe that's the way to kind of dismantle the bridge that they have or the wall, the big wall that they have against one thing or another. You cannot talk badly about something that you don't know. And I think that we do that way too many. And as musicians, I think that we do it even more. And we are so aware of the other, but not of ourselves. And mm. I remember as a student, I was dating my now husband and people will be surprised that we were both violinists. And they said, you cannot be dating a violinist. You're going to be <laughs> competing against each other all the time. And I never view it that way. Obviously he didn't either. So, um, we, we were shocked that people will say this, but I feel that many, many times people are like this. <laughs> so they don't, they don't just say it, they feel it, they think it, and they, um, that's what they give you. And it's like, well, you don't have to give back what you do not agree. So um, I think that's something that if we think a lot, it should make us better persons. Yeah, I completely agree. It, it's so interesting because my wife is a violinist and I'm a French horn player. So we never had the direct competition, you know, like two violinists might or two trumpet players or, but I know several um, couples of, of same instruments or similar instruments that might be, you know, in some way competing with one another, but mm -hmm. it's, it's how you view that competition. I think that's so important. Mm -hmm. um, and as you said, music is not really a competition with others. It's a competition with yourself, right? It's so internal 
um, with the way that we work, especially, you know, once we're out of the university and, you know, we're quote professional musicians now. And, and most of the time, um, most of us, unfortunately, aren't taking regular lessons anymore. So we don't have that external perspective to be guiding us. And so, so much of our progress later on is about internal reflection. And I think that's where the mindfulness piece is so helpful for so many is that once you start to understand how to look inward and experience your thoughts, you start to notice, you know, what's helpful and what's not helpful, both internally and externally more easily. And um, the idea of competition, I think, is, is a great one. Maybe we can touch on that for a little bit here. But I'm sure when you're working with your students and, you know, I'm sure you've experienced this yourself, that it's hard to get away from that idea of competition. You know, it's hard to to let that go and and focus on, you know, what you're doing and, and the best that you can be without trying to just one up someone else or be better than someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some of the ways that maybe um, mindfulness or um, mindful type practices that you've done or that your students do help with that kind of approach? I think that you just mentioned it, the inward um awareness it's extremely important i remembered that one of my dear violin teachers used to tell us that i remember going to his class and then just play for him and i felt that i did my worst (laughs) and it was it was extremely frustrating like i would say i practiced this and this was so good yesterday or this was so good one minute ago, you know, and mm-hmm. and then it's like, I don't know why is it that it's not good enough, like for me to play it for you. And he will always say, we are all virtuosos when we are practicing by, by ourselves. And mm-hmm. I didn't understand that. I mean, I was like, I, I found it funny, but at the same time, it made me kind of feel bad. And I didn't know why up until I started doing what you just said, looking inside of me. And then, um, as you mentioned it, the hardest part is to not have lessons, but to keep getting better because that's something that we all want as musicians. And we, and I think part of the magical experience about being a music uh, major or a musician or a professional musician is that you need to keep on growing and it's never going to be enough and which is good, but also bad in the sense that, that you put down your yourself a lot and that you don't even need to compare to other. You're just listening to yourself and you're just saying, this is not what I want. And I think that at the same time, and whatever some of my students tell me that they they don't like how they sound, and I I tell them this is good, it it is good that you don't like that you your sound. What happened between today and last week? And they said, I don't know. I liked my sound last week, but not this mm-hmm. week. And I say, is there anything that make you think that your sound was better last week than the other? And they would say, not that I can think of. Hmm. So I tell them, it's, it is that you are growing up. You are growing up as a musician. So that what was good for you last week, it is not good for you any longer this week. And, and I tell them, it is good 
that you feel this way because you are looking inside of you. You are listening to what you are really doing. So I got what my violin teacher was telling me is that I was not listening to myself as hard as I should. And I tell them, you need to listen to yourself truly because the one thing that goes the worst is that when you're in a concert, you are being so mindful about everything that you are doing, but your practice was not as mindful. So, and then you are like, oh no, I did this wrong and that wrong, but why, why I never did that wrong before? And it's like, no, you've been doing it. You practice very, very um, much to be able to master that error a lot. <laughs> and I think that as soon as we start to be more mindful about our practice, these things will happen less. And for some of us, it happens when we are very young. From some others, it happens while we're, you're going to school. Some, for some others are when you are already have a DMA, you know, it doesn't have a time limit. It's just the fact that you need to be aware of everything you do, even before you go on and practice. That's so, so, so important. Um, let's, I think we should dig, it in, dig into that a little bit more. The, because that's something that was ingrained in me from my teacher, that every single note matters. You have to make every note matter if it's, you know, uh, arpeggios, you know, for a jury that you have to work on, or if it's, you know, the, the Bruch Violin Concerto or like whatever you're working on, every single note matters and every single time you play it matters. Um, and to me, that's the, like you said, it's the difference in your mental approach from practice to performance. And that seems to be a really common thread that I've discussed with several people on this podcast is how to match those two things. Because like you said, we get into performance and all of a sudden we're, we're hyper-focused, we're hyper-aware, and we're trying to make it better than it was before maybe, right? And in the practice room, you do the same passage five times, six times, and the sixth time is great. And you say, that was wonderful. And then you go on, but you practiced all those other times, not at the same level. And then you try to go to performance and your brain remembers all those times, not just the one good one, but the five bad ones. And so how, how do you think, or how do you help your students to kind of work on that skill of, of being in the, um, the performance mind state when they're practicing their music, or do we need to be all the time? Maybe it's just picking and choosing, but how do we, how do we work on that skill? Um, I think that it's extremely important that we remind ourselves that we are artists. And I think that as a musician, you tend to forget a lot about that. And I think that's the, it could probably be the number one issue for music performance anxiety, just because we forget, we believe that we are the musicians we play. I, I don't know if I can rephrase that, but the thing is that we think of ourselves exclusively as musicians. Mm. So we don't see the others, the other parts of ourselves. And we are not only musicians. We are teachers. We are parents. We are husband, wife. Um, we are a member of the community. 
And we need to be aware that we are all those things without neglecting the other. And when we go to the stage, we think of ourselves exclusively as the musician. So then when we don't do it as good as we think we could have, we feel so bad. And it's it's a cycle of auto-destroying ourselves. And we need to stop doing that. But how? We need to do it in our practice room. We cannot do it in the concert. Like It will magically happen. It's like, no, it doesn't happen that way. You have to practice the same way you want to perform. So when you are practicing, it, it's okay. It will go step by step. But you need to figure out your steps so that you can be successful. And as you said, you play it six times and the sixth, the sixth time was perfect. But then you did it five times before that, that was not perfect. So as you said, your brain, you install in your brain that you need to do it badly. <laughs> and that's awful because when you get this performance anxiety, your brain will catch onto that and your brain will say, okay, this is what you need to do. And you need to do it wrongly because you mm. were a master of the wrong thing in your practice. <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah. I, I always tell my students to be careful and be aware that they are not masters of, of virtuoso bad playing because that mm. could happen. And it happens in your practice. So you need to practice the first time you take a piece, whatever piece it is, a scale or a studio or whatever, you need to see it as if you need to play it yesterday. <laughs> and, and you need to have that um, focus so, so that you feel and know that you are getting better. Um, I remember one thing that my brother, it's also a professional musician. He's a guitarist, very, extremely good guitarist. Um, but he used to tell me, or he still says it, <laughs> you <laughs> need to practice um, as if you your concert was yesterday, knowing that it's in a year. So I was um, like, okay, how, how do I do that? And then I learned that it is going step by step, not missing any single step. And maybe for us violinists or string players, for me, the first step would be intonation. And after I have intonation, that will be rhythm. After I have intonation and rhythm, that will be probably phrasing or maybe the bowings because it could be very difficult. So I need to, or maybe a shifting. I don't know, it, it has to do, but in intonation, I try to see shiftings and intonation in the same step. Mm -hmm. But you can develop your own way of seeing things depending on what your um, lacks could be, or maybe your, your um, you know what your strengths are. So just go to your strengths and you know that that's not something you need to work on. <laughs> you need to work on the things that doesn't work. But the, the thing is that many, many times, and students do this a lot, they focus 
exclusively on the one thing they do right. And it's like, okay, you did it perfectly, but now you need to move on to the things that you don't do right. So when the concerts get here, you are not ready because you focus on tapping their cells and be like, oh, you did this right, <laughs> you know? But it's like, it's okay. You need to celebrate those achievements, but also you need to be aware that the achievement is to play through the entire thing feeling that you can tap on yourself and be like, yes, mm. you did a good job. I think that's the main focus or how the main focus should be for practicing and knowing that the end goal is being able to play it, enjoying it. That the enjoyment part is so important. And I think all your, all the things you're saying are so great. I, um, I wanted to just highlight a couple things. The, the idea of just practicing your strengths is so easy for a lot of musicians because it's like, oh, I sound so good when I play slow, pretty things. So I'm just going to play the slow, pretty parts. And then I'll, I'll just spend 10 minutes on the fast stuff that I don't play well, but then that's going to be the problem when he goes to perform. Right. So you can't, you can't pat yourself on the back, right. For the whole thing. It's just like those one little spots. And then you're like, okay, I, I practiced well today. I played those, the pretty spots really well, so I can be done. Right. But knowing internally that your your weaknesses or the places you need the most progress are the technical passages or shifting or bow technique or or fortissimo playing or whatever it might be knowing that those are the things you need to spend more time on so that when you get to the lyrical things they're just as easy everything feels comfortable and easy um that i think is so 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 important and then the other part of it i loved what you said with your brother about practice like the concert was yesterday and then in a year from now, right? So I I, I experience this myself too. When I get a, a piece of challenging music, I tend to rush through the early stages of preparation because I feel like I need to, I need to get to like practicing running through the piece as soon as possible, you know, or, or I need to, you know, practice, I, I don't know, practice, I need to get the tempo up as fast as possible. But if you spend the time early, knowing that you need to work slow and be very intentional and very aware of small little mistakes and watching your intonation and, and accuracy and rhythmic accuracy and building all those steps up, like you said, you know, like what you were talking about earlier of um, with your students focusing on one thing, right, at a time and then building and building and building. It just makes everything so much easier so that when we get to the performance, um, that the whole performance of that piece or that movement or, or whatever it is that you're doing feels comfortable and and you can enjoy it right you're enjoying it there's no panic and there's no um you know uh there's no worry about the specific spots that that might be hard because you've you've done the work and so everything is comfortable yeah and actually you might be even panicking but you know how to control it because you mm. practice it so well that you are not going to be thinking about how nervous you are. You are going to be thinking of all the steps you took to make able to enjoy that one performance. And I remember one of my students surprised me um, a few months ago. He said that he's never memorized any piece before. Hmm. And he told me that he wouldn't be able to do it. And I said, you know, um, I need you to do it just because it's part of music and music training, but also because otherwise 
I cannot give you a grade, <laughs> you know? Hmm. It's like, uh, it's, it's a, it's a uh, prerequisite. So you, mm-hmm. you need to have it. And he, he said, I cannot memorize. And I told him, you will be able to memorize if you work like this. And he said, but he was furious. And he said to me, you are lying, you know? And he was so <laughs> disappointed. And I said, okay, give me the benefit of the doubt and just do it like this. And I'm going to prove you right now in two minutes that you are able to memorize something. And we, we did it and he was frustrated. I kind of was, you know, because (laughs) it was a surprise to me that a student will be able to say like, you are lying, you know, and he was so upset and, and I tried to be empathic towards what he was telling me but it's sometimes it's hard when we um, are professors and we think of ourselves how we were as students and Mm. how respectful we might have been to our professor that we will never doubt anything he said you know but these students right now are coming and they are different they are they are not like we used to be when Mm. we were students they will challenge the teacher and that's not bad you know and i figure it out with some of my students that were very challenging at first because they they didn't trust me they didn't know me before so um it was part of them knowing whether i was this mean teacher that wanted to do it their the authoritarian way or how was i right so I told the student, let's try it this way. And then at the end of those two minutes, we put like a, a clock. And at the end of those two minutes, a timer. And then um, I said, okay, stop. Please face the wall and play, play it. And he was like, I won't be able to do it. And I said, I need you to trust me. I need you to trust your practice. I need you to trust the process. Just try it. And he played it. And he looked at me and said, like, that's not possible. And I said, <laughs> yes, you've, you've just heard it. I wasn't playing. <laughs> you that's know, great. you just did it. So, and he, since that lesson, he is a different person now. And I'm so proud of him. And he is, I, I don't need to tell him, you need to memorize this. He wants to memorize things. And it's just because he played it the right way. But many, many times what happens with us is that we play through the entire piece. And the Mm. brain doesn't work like that. (laughs) The brain won't be able to memorize 15 minutes of music in one take. It takes many, 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 15 minutes to play maybe a phrase to be able to memorize it. So um, I think that we need goes back to what you said at the beginning. Um, we need to be very aware of everything we do so that we can be the best musicians we can. You know, another thing you mentioned was about make it as a professor, it's okay if your students challenge you and ask you why and ask you, you know, to, to explain to them like what the process is or, or what the expectations are or like, why, why am I have to do it this way? You know, and your reaction I think is so good is that that's good. That's a good thing because 
I think what that's highlighting is one of those skills that's developed through kind of incorporating mindfulness either directly or indirectly to music is this idea of being able to look at yourself and address things that you want to change or do better without saying that I am, I am bad, or I am a bad teacher, or my technique is bad. It's just that these are things I need to work on. And it's separating your, your quality as a human being from your work as a musician. And that goes back to what you were saying earlier, that we all need, we can't just, we're not just musicians, you know, we're friends and brothers and sisters and, and cousins and, you know, community members. And that, that balance is so, so, so important. And what it results in is us being able to look and say, oh, you know, this recording of my concerto that I recorded last night during practice didn't sound good here and here and here. I need to fix these things like this can be better. This can be better without that making us feel bad about ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's just an acknowledgement of what is and saying, oh, great. OK, these are good spots to know I can now fix this and this and make it even better. And and like that student saying, you know, I can't do this. There's no way. There's no way. I'm I'm bad at, me at memorizing. I can't me memorize, right? But instead of that, it's saying, oh, my memorization work as a musician needs to improve. Mm -hmm. And that little, that one instance that you just explained of showing him that he can do it, like totally changed his perspective. And that's all it really takes sometimes is that little bit of awareness and acknowledgement of, of who we are and where we are and knowing what we want to work on without berating ourselves and making ourselves feel bad for it. Mm -hmm. I think that's very important. And actually, I am sure that that was uh, something that I, I have learned from mindfulness. Because um, before that, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know, five years ago when, or maybe when I graduated from my master's and I began teaching, I wouldn't accept that a student would tell me something like this. And I would be like, if you don't trust me, just walk away, you know? And, and mm -hmm. I, I remember myself being like that, <laughs> you know? And, and I'm like, okay, I, but, but after mindfulness, and it's just because again, we take it so personal. And, and then I, I, I've seen a thread in a Facebook group that I am at and the, the teacher was saying, I've only been teaching for two years or basically saying, I've only been teaching for two years and this student feels entitled to let me know how to run my class. Hmm. And I was like, no, students do have a saying and it is important that we listen to them. Why? Because that makes us better teachers. And that makes us better musicians. They may have another vision of the world and you need to take that into account because you will grow with your student, but you need to give them that. And it's like, I, I basically think if you are not, um, if you feel that you cannot grow towards your entire life, why are you a musician in the first place? You know, it's like, no, we need to listen to everyone. Even I always tell my students, you learn from the worst and from the best, but you learn even more from the worst because you get to see what is it that that person is doing that don't allow them to be better. Is it their mindset? Is it their practice? 
is there the technique? Is it their, I don't know, maybe their bow hold, it's not right, or maybe their fingerings, or it's too tense. But you get to see that one person, and Perman is not going to have these issues. <laughs> but you might have it, and you are not Perman, and you need to know that you are not Perman. And that's whenever you realize that, um, it's going to make you or allow you to grow. And just listen to what others have to say about your teaching, about your playing. It's not disrespectful unless they are mean, right? But right. Um, if they, if their intention or their question really is about how you maybe articulated something, it will allow you to express it better every single time. And I know it's hard. It's hard not to take things personally when we are teaching these students that we get to see for maybe four, five, or even more years. It's difficult. But then again, I have to think, if I am not judging them, why will they be judging me? And it's, hmm. it's uncommon for students to do these kind of things. As these students say, you're lying, you know? It's, it has happened only like one time in these eight years that I've been teaching at higher education, you know? And, but that one student helped me be a better teacher. And again, at first I was like, who do he thinks he is, right? <laughs> because that, that's, that's when your ego hits and your ego says, oh no, I'm superior, you know? But then you're like, I'm not superior. And this person is entitled to their own opinion, even though I don't agree. And I think that's a very important step to growing up, mm -hmm. <laughs> not only as a musician, but growing up as a, as a person. And I see too many adults, you know, thinking that they are so much more than anyone else. And it's like, okay, that's not the way I want to be because it, it won't make me happy. It won't make me grow. And I think that we are all here and we need to give the hand to each other and we need to hold each other because life is difficult as it is. We don't need to make it any more difficult. Yeah, beautifully said, Emily. I completely agree. Um, I I would imagine that you and I could have, you know, hours of conversation and but I think we'll we'll wrap up our first conversation here. Um, I'm sure there's lots of students um, who would love to find out more about what you do. And we didn't get too much into your mindfulness conference that you host. But um, if you have any ways, uh, the best ways to get in touch with you, um, would you like to share those? Just if there's websites to find you or social media, anything like that? Yes, yes, sure. sure. You can find me. It's a little bit difficult for English, but it's going to be Emily Rodriguez Quiros, which is my, my last name, Emily Rodriguez Quiros. You can find me um, on Facebook, but also you could drop me an email. Uh, it's N-I-L-O-I-V at gmail.com. It's going to spell violin backwards. It's very easy. And there you can find me and I will be more than happy to answer any questions or just get in touch and telling you how I live with mindfulness and string playing. That's great. I'll put uh, links to all of those uh, addresses and your email on the uh, the podcast page so you, everyone can find you there. Um, but again, so many wonderful things. And um, I so appreciate you sharing uh, this wonderful conversation with me. And I look forward to maybe having another one. 
sometime soon. Sure. Thanks a lot, Kevin. My best wishes for you. Thanks, Take Emily. care. Another huge thank you to Emily for a wonderful conversation. And thank you all so much for listening. You can keep up to date on all new podcast releases and other exciting news by following me on Instagram at Mindful Musical Life or by visiting the website, mindfulmusicallife.com. If you have a suggestion for a future topic or guest, please reach out. I'd love to hear your ideas. Remember, anyone who might be interested in mindfulness coaching can reach out via Instagram or my website to schedule a free 30-minute consultation. And lastly, if you like the podcast, please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you again for listening, and see you next time.